And tonight, what I was going to do, and we'll see what ends up happening as far as how fast we get through this. I was going to try to get clear through chapter 11, um, and we'll see. I don't know. We'll see if we get that far. If not, uh, chapter 11 goes right in with the rest of uh, the you know, the 11, 12, and 13, and 14. It's all the love chapters, and uh, God just pouring out His love. But tonight is definitely more. It's going to continue on going and talking about their disobedience to God, and just... It's they've heard what's going to happen, and they're still disobeying. And so it's kind of like, okay, guys, if you're going to keep disobeying, guess what follows? God's judgment. That's what's going to happen. And so Hosea, again, is just telling them, look, if you continue on this, your judgment is God's coming, okay? He's going to deal with this sin. God doesn't just let sin go. And so that's, again, it's going to be one of those things, and it may seem repetitive, but there's so many neat things that God brings in here, and there's even one place that he pauses right in the middle of telling them what's going to happen, and he goes back to how much he just loved them. And it's so neat that he does that, because I think of, you know, when the parent is chewing you out for something you've done wrong, and then they just stop, and, like, you can just see their brokenheartedness. They're like, I just love you, and I want you to do right. And it kind of brings that real, you know, that, that real essence to it, where it's like, oh, Okay, I can tune back in. I know I was getting chewed out, but now I can tune back in because it's about, you know, you loving me. And I just see that God will just in his care for his people, you know, he puts that back in there. And he just wants them to know it's not because I'm, I'm some big angry God that wants you to be perfect. It's I just desire your heart. I desire the close relationship with you. And I'm so sick of you guys playing the game of trying to entertain me with the sacrifices and these regulations that I've asked you for when your heart is so far away from me. And so that's what we're going to get into more and, and just, you know, getting to see that sadness and them fooling themselves and the consequences that are happening. There's offenses against God. There's going to be these consequences that come because of those offenses from God, of, of, uh, against God. And uh, that's where Hosea is going to take us tonight. So let's go ahead and get started in chapter 8. And we'll go ahead and read through verse 6. It says, Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good, the enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not my, by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves, that they, may, they, they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence, for, for from Israel is even this, a workman made it, and it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken into pe- broken to pieces. And Lord, just as we go through your scriptures and, and hear what you spoke to Hosea and, and asked him to deliver to your people, Lord, we just ask that you teach us that, you know, this application that we can definitely draw from here and, and uh, even this awakening, you know, Lord, just bring it. Uh, we ask that you would just touch our lives. We want to be so close to you, Lord. We want to know your character. And as we go through these scriptures, I know it's, it's things that you just want to reveal yourself more to us. You want to show the, the tolerance that you have and, and the intolerance towards sin, Lord, and, and that we can't, we can't just keep skirting around it. We can't hide it in the back, Lord, that it needs to be dealt with. And so we ask you just do that in our lives, and we just thank you for the love you pour out on us, that, cons- that constant mercy that you give us and what's even shown here in these pages. And uh, Lord, I ask you just bless us tonight just with your word that we would hear, we'd listen up, and we'd you know, do those things that you're challenging us with, Lord. I just thank you for these guys coming tonight, Lord. I ask you just bless them. You know, after a hard day's work, it, it's hard to come and sit down and, and you know, listen again. And uh, so I just pray for them, Lord. I ask that you would just bless their lives and just their diligence to be here and, and want to hear what you have to say, Lord. So please just speak to me, anoint me with your spirit, and uh, just teach us tonight, Lord. In your name, pray, amen. All right. So there's five different things, the main offenses against God in this first chapter that we're going to end up seeing. And what happens is that these guys, these are five different things that they do. It's, it's very specific on what they do against God. And then in the following chapter, they're going to have the consequences for those things. And so we're going to see both of those deals. And I think what we can take from it is we get to see, okay, God's not going to put up with that. He's not going to put up with these five different things. And not only is he not going to put up with it, there's consequences that follow those deals. I think so many times we feel that we can escape that kind of thing because if we don't have consequences in our life right now because of the sin we're acting out, we feel that we can skirt around it or we can deal with it ourselves in the sense of, well, nothing's happened yet, so 
I could probably get over this myself, and it's, it's failure after failure that we keep falling into it rather than just going before God our Father and saying, Father, take my hand again. You know, I'm so lost without you. I, I can't do this. Everything that I set up for myself, all these formulas that I try to do, all these different religious activities I try to do to keep myself from sin, it doesn't work. I have to have you. You know, and coming back to him, because that's what he wants, right? That he knows that it's not going to solve all these religious things. That's just to draw closer and have that great relationship with him and that obedience. So, the very first one that we see is in that, in that very first verse. He says, set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and they rebelled against my law. That's the first one. They've transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. And this is a thing that we get to see over and over again, because God set it up for them, and he says, here, you're going to be my people, and here's the things I want you guys to do. Here's the law I'm going to give you, and I want you to be completely set apart from all the other nations. And it's a great thing to be in those hands of God and doing those things, isn't it? I mean, there's such blessing that pours out, and God promised them so many awesome things. They got to see unbelievable miracles. I mean, stuff that we can't even fathom. I mean, watching a sea part, you know, watching, watching the sun stay still. These are, these are huge. You know, the word today is epic things that God did. It's so big in what he did, and, and they look at that, and they get all these awesome blessings from him, but yet they still turn from him. And I think it relates right to our lives, because we can look, when we first come to Jesus Christ, it's like, wow, these blessings he's pouring out. And we have such that line of contrast there of, wow, this old life, there was nothing. It was fruitless. And now I'm in Jesus, and I can't wait to tell other people about him. I'm so excited about him. He's changing my life every day. I thirst and hunger for his word. And then a couple years later, it's kind of like, eh. <laughs> I got this down now, and now it's really hard to discipline myself to stay in that same place that I was such excited about when I came to him in the first place. That's where I find myself, even going through these scriptures, and these last weeks I've really been upset because that discipline is lacking. You know, there's so much more that I want to have with God my Father, and I really want him to be my Father. I want to have that intimate relationship with him, and it fails so far because of the time that I find spending, myself, spending on other things. And it's a sad place, and it's one of those things that you watch these people and where all their time was spent and the, the, their observances and, and their focus, and it was completely just strayed away from him to the place where they just got so evil and were off and had nothing to do with him anymore. And God's just crying out to him, like, stop doing what you're doing. I'm going to put your sin in front of you. I'm going to show you the things you're doing. And here's the judgment that's going to come. Stop. And unfortunately, Hosea has to keep going and telling him, and they don't stop. We know that. They have to have it where they get taken out of the promised land. They have their blessings removed from them. And so they're rebelling against God's law. You know, and it, it, man takes away God's law, or he takes God's law, God's way uh, very lightly. And you guys can see that nowadays. Look at, look at the world. How lightly they take God's law, right? I mean, most of the time, if they're going to take it anywhere right now, they're taking it out of the schools. That's all they have to do with it. And it's not just speaking of, of just the Ten Commandments, but it's God's way of living. Jesus, when he came to you know, Matthew chapter 5, and he gives us all these awesome insights on what it is to be a follower of him, you know, completely just flipping everything around and showing them what it is to live in the kingdom of God. And you see that. That's God's ways. And then the world's like, that's foolishness. <laughs> Every one of those things that Jesus taught, yeah, they're good ideas, but really to follow them? I mean, do you think you're better than me? Right? It gets, it gets all personal with them, and they, they turn it off, and really they just take God's ways, his, his, the covenant and the law, they take it lightly. And it's unfortunate because that just drives them further and further away from them because if it ta is taken lightly, then they come up with their own, right? They have their own focus. So God's covenant is a covenant-keeping God. And so if God's a covenant-keeping God, how could he expect any less with those that he made a covenant with, Right? So if he's a covenant-keeping God, he's going to make a covenant with you. He's going to promise you something. Wouldn't he expect you to follow through with what's in the covenant? And unfortunately, Israel got into the point where it's like, yeah, he's a covenant God. He always follows through. It's great. <laughs> and they forgot their side of it. They forgot that the covenant means two people making that pact. And they completely walked away from it, just going basically in complacency where they were just like, eh, you know, he'll take care of it. And I find myself even in this life, and I know of others, that that's the way it sometimes comes down to is like, meh, you know, God's got it. Yeah, I messed up, but 
I haven't gotten in trouble in the past, so God, I'm sorry. Let's move on. And it's really this 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 unfortunate relationship that develops where it's just very flippant. Where it's it's not a thing that we don't take regard our sin as wow, this is so heavy, this is so serious. So serious what I've done to my covenant God, you know. He's made this awesome thing with me. And that's what I do. Now look over in Jeremiah 31. This will bring it more home because we're thinking, okay, covenant, well, you know what? He didn't make a covenant with me. But if you guys have have Jesus Christ in your heart. He sure did. Let's look over at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Awesome little place right here where it speaks of the new covenant. And there's a lot of places we could go in the New Testament, but I think it's so awesome that here he is proclaiming what's going to happen in the future in this new covenant that he's going to set up through Jesus Christ. And so in, in verse 31, starting in verse 31, we'll go through 34 in Jeremiah 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day, in the, in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, uh, husband to them says the Lord. And I think it's awesome he brings that in, especially we're reading through Hosea. Over and over he's talking about his, you know, his wife cheating on him. In verse 23, or verse 33, it says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write on their, uh, their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin will be remembered no more. And praise God for that. That's what we are in Jesus. And if you guys want to make it, like you can say, well, this is still talking about Israel, but when it says he's going to put that truth in there, like we're going to know everything, that's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to us. So you can go over to Matthew, you can look at where Jesus said, you know, I need to go away so that the Helper will come and he'll guide you into all truth. Right? He's speaking to us. So that's how we go into this new covenant, and that's the new covenant we're accountable to. It's a covenant, guys. It's something that we've made with God. And now the cool thing, and I want to make sure this is very clear, it's not dependent on on our obedience. It's not dependent on us having a sinless life to keep this covenant because he is a covenant God. He's merciful and he's gracious and that will still be provided. And we see that in Israel all the time, right? I mean, even it talks about so many different places Israel's going to be restored. It even talks about when, when uh, Solomon has the, the kings taken away from, you know, the ten tribes taken away from given to Jeroboam. What ends up happening, it says, you know, and if Jeroboam, God says, if Jeroboam will be okay, if he'll do the right thing, he's going to establish that guy, which he did horrible, led, led Israel way off into sin. But if he would have done great, he would have established him. But then he says, I will not completely take out David's line because I promised David. Even though Solomon completely done everything wrong and, and went after foreign gods, still God was faithful in his covenant he made with David to say, no, I'll continue him on. That's the way God is. And it's so awesome to see that that's the way he is. And praise God that that's the way it is, right? In the second one, going back over to Hosea. Hosea chapter 8, the second one that we're going to look at in this main offense to God is in, chapter, in verse 4. And it says, And they set up kings, but not by me they made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold they made idols from themselves. So the second one, this is a big root of their problem in Israel, is that in the northern kingdom, in Ephraim, is that they set up their own kings, setting uh, starting with Jeroboam. Now here's a hard thing to, to understand. In 1 Kings, if you guys are taking notes, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 30 through 38, it's through the whole discussion that God's having through his prophet, I can't remember the name of Ahijah or something. It's, that's the name of the prophet. Speaking through him, and he's telling Jeroboam, I'm handing these. He goes, and Jeroboam's out there. He's got this new garment on, new cloth. You know, he's sporting his new jacket. Meets up with this prophet. The prophet takes his jacket, rips it up in 12 pieces to make a point. And I'm just thinking, can't you just tell me don't rip up my clothes? <laughs> Especially when you only have only two pair that day. But he rips up his clothes, takes 12, and he gives 10 of them to Jeroboam and tells him, here's what's going to happen, right? Now, people argue and say, oh, here's a contradiction in the Bible because it says that God, that they're the ones that set up the kings in, in verse 4, but you look back and it says that God gave Jeroboam the kingdoms. Okay, now you have to look at it and say, this is not God's plan at all. God promised. The plan was to have Israel, the 12 tribes. I mean, there's promises all over, but because of Solomon's sin... 
this is now what needs to take place. And it's not God's plan. This is just now what needs to happen. So there's rules that have been set forward, but then fractions are not like, oh, okay, now it's all good. And so when you're looking at that, it's not a contradiction there. It's still that they're setting up kings because of their sin. And after Jeroboam, they go up and they just set up king after king after king. And it really brings a big problem into their lives because every one of these kings took them off into idolatry even further. I mean, they were disgusting people. It was a sad deal they ended up doing. So God's hand was forced because of Solomon's sin. And that's what led to Jeroboam being king over the ten northern tribes and then going on to the other kings. So it's, it's interesting because what happened is the people, I mean, they're not completely innocent in this because they're the ones acting out and following after the king and doing these, you know, setting up these other altars and, and other worship centers. Um, but it really shows that leaving that Davidic covenant or that Davidic dynasty was also leave, leaving God to go into idolatry. Because when he left that promise of God, it completely just made him even go further away. And that's so true. You know, you watch people's lives, and it's, it's you know, maybe those kids that have been raised in a Christian home, and, and they're, they know everything. They know the truth, and they're just like, forget it. They're off. You know, they know the truth, but then they're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. They completely separate themselves from it, and they go way off the deep end. You know, we just pray for them that they're going to be that prodigal son and, and come back and, and, you know, have that awesome restoration that will take place which God wants to do that. You guys know that. Okay, the third one. The third problem that they had, the third sin, this, this third thing that they were messing up on was, of course, idolatry. I mean, that's one of the plain ones. That's usually the one we'll go to when we talk about Israel because it was so heavy, and that's what God spoke about all the time was this idolatry. And there's so many times where we'll put ourselves in that place when we read through, and we'll go through it again in, in the uh, second part of 4 where it says, From their silver and gold they made idols for themselves that they uh, might be cut off. Uh, your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this. A workman made it, and it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. And we look at that, and we're like, yeah, I don't have that problem. <laughs> I mean, you guys have a cow in your house? A golden one? If you do, get rid of it, all right? <laughs> not supposed to be there. We don't, we don't have necessarily these idols that they have. And so there's, I think, so many times that we'll, we'll, we'll kind of set ourselves aside and be like, oh, Israel. I mean, I can never see myself setting up an idol in my house. You know, but then we have to go over, and, and, and the New Testament's awesome in this way because it really brings it home to us. It really brings it home and saying, yeah, <laughs> you're, you got sin in your life too, and this is the things you're dealing with. And if you guys look over at Colossians 3, 5, it actually defines for us really clear what idolatry is. Those of you guys that know the scriptures, you know this verse already. It's one of those ones you stumble across and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. So I do have that problem. So in verse 5 of chapter 3 of Colossians, it says, Therefore put to death your members for which, are, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Which is what? which is idolatry, covetousness, that desiring what we, want, what we don't have. Not just looking at saying, hey, that's cool, I wish I had that someday, but really just desiring and wanting and, and, and you know, trying to really pursue it. And, and, and it consumes us. That's one of those things that, I mean, anybody that's on Amazon, you know, <laughs> Amazon's a hard place to go because there's one thing after another, and I'm, I'm there all the time. But it's just like, ooh, I gotta have one of those, and then it's like boom, boom, boom. This big process, and it's actually it's really hard for some people because it's so easy, it's so convenient to where it's just like you know it, they just pour out onto it. And I'm not saying hey, you guys shop on Amazon, you guys are sinners. That's not where I'm going. Okay, Stephanie, <laughs> I hear you laughing. I know I. Hey, I'm all about it. <laughs> Check it out. I got this on Amazon, so we're all good. <laughs> No, but just watching what we're doing and what we're consumed with, because you guys know that idolatry, when they look at the idols, they're consumed by it. Uh, watching TV, um, some of the programs that are out there. I mean, there's one program I really have to be careful. Me and Shelly were watching it. It's like my favorite ever now. It's called Diesel Brothers. Great trucks on there. Great trucks, you know, and you find yourself like, I got to get one of those, and they give them out for free. These trucks, you know, you go and buy some shirts. They, yeah, Caleb, I think he said he's entered every one of them. Yeah, he'll get it someday, right? 
But, you know, people get consumed with that stuff to where they're just like, there's so much into it. I've got to have that now. And, and then it's sad where they end up putting themselves to get those things. You know, our country really makes it where it enables people to get what they want right away, even though there's going to be consequences for later. There's all that debt that follows. There's all that strife that follows. Then there's all this marital problems because of all this strife. And, and it's sad where it all goes. And it's because of this complete covetousness focused on this stuff. And it's so crazy. When you look at idolatry, that's what it was about. It was so focused on other things other than God, and the time spent so much on those things rather than with God. And so then you see this happening, and it's like, okay, you know, I guess, yeah, I, I do see that in today's age. It isn't something that's been erased from history, and now there's no longer this idolatry that happens within America. I mean, it's, it's just hidden. You know, it's secret. And you guys have heard me joke about it before, but, you know, back when they had little coves and stuff for their idols to set in, and then they could go and pay attention to them and, you know, do whatever they needed to be entertained or whatever. We call those entertainment centers nowadays, and it's kind of the same deal. It's like you have this one thing that's there. You get a look at it, and all this nasty stuff comes across on it, like what happened with the idols. And then if you guys want to, like, Nebuchadnezzar, where you set up the big idol, right, so everybody could come and have a group worship, we call those theaters now. So everybody can go and... <laughs> You know, there's, and again, I'm not saying you guys take, you know, throw your, burn your TVs, burn the theaters down. It's not that. It's, it's just be careful what you're entertaining yourself with, you know, where your time is being spent because it's not something that's disappeared. It's something that has to be watched. And it's just something that really brings us back because God wants to be with us. He wants that relationship. He wants us to be right there with him. He wants to bless us as his children. You know, where it says, and I took him by the hand. That's so cool. You just see this little kid taking his dad's hand and going for a walk. And, and just enjoying that time with him. And that's what God really wants. He doesn't want all these other things coming in there and taking that place that is rightfully his. Rightfully that he's made a covenant with us to have. And even shed his blood so that he can have that with us, right? The fourth one, in verses 9 and 10. Oh, this is going to be good. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by, by, by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall uh, sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. And what this one is talking about is that they look for others to save them. This is one of the other transgressions that they really fell into, is looking for others to save them. And so you see this even happening nowadays, where people will go out and try to figure out how to solve their problems. And they'll go through all different things. They'll try to make themselves look better. They'll go on all these crazy things to get that look that they're after, what the world has told them this is what is desirable. Uh, they'll go after that stuff like we talked about. And not only that, but when they're going through problems, they'll go after soothsayers. They'll go after people that are going to read their palm. You know, they even get into that kind of thing. They get into different avenues, which really it gets to be demonic after a while because it's like, what they're after and what they're seeking after is almost like a sorcery. And it's unfortunate that here it wasn't they were getting to that, but they were actually, they wanted to be saved because of this doom that was coming down on them. So they were going out to Assyria to look for help. They wanted Assyria to go to bat for them, which is crazy because Assyria, I mean, they're not, they don't have them. They, they want their stuff. So they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll exploit you. <laughs> sure, come on over. You know, what do you got? And, 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 Later on, they ended up taking up the whole nation and taking them away. But they're going over to him, and God's like, you guys, why are you going after people? How many things have I brought you through? You had one nation come up against you, and, and I fought for you. I sent my angels down to fight for you. And it's so sad that they've forgotten this stuff, because now they're running to all these other things to go and save them. And the world has that too. They'll go out of these other religions to save them. They'll go, you know, and they fill their mind with just nonsense. And it's unfortunate that that's where they end up going. And then the last one is that they built altars of sin and they built temples. And this is in verses 11 through 14. It says, Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars of, for sinning. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. And this, this whole part, I mean, this is one of those things where they're trying to blend the two. They're building up these altars, 
but then they're also trying to blend and make sure everything's okay with God. So they're establishing these things in their life because we know altars. Every time we see an altar built, what is it? It's showing that something was either accomplished there or something they need to remember that God's taken them through, right? You get to see all the forefathers, when they get something done, that's what they would do is they build an altar. And these altars of sacrifice that they're using, it was to other foreign gods. But they were still trying to keep it in with God, so they're mixing them in there. And it was so sad because here they are establishing these different things in their life, but still trying to keep it right with God. And it's one of those things that some people, they don't want to let go of their sin, and they have it established. It's like, you don't know how much work I went through to build that altar. <laughs> That's a good place. You know, I've had good times there. I have good memories. I have fond things that happen there. And God, you can still be there with me. And, and that's basically what they were doing, is like trying to include God in what was sin. And God's, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. God says, I'm not accepting them. I'm not accepting your guys' sacrifices. This is nothing to me. Because it's all foreign. It's, you know, it, it's been polluted. Now we remember that there's iniquity and they punish their sins and they shall return to Egypt. And it's a sad thing that God has to do this. God has to deal with it because if God doesn't deal with it, then... There's no consequences for sin, and so sin can keep going on and looked at as the right thing. So as a loving God, he, there has to be a stop that's put to this before they absolutely destroy themselves. And we know in Romans it talks about that. that you completely have just give them over, and they just destroy themselves. In verse 14, to close out this chapter, it says, For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah also has multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour his palaces. And it's just them completely forsaking God, forgetting who is their maker, and establishing their own forts, basically, their own protection against all these things. When God is right there. And it blows my mind because of all the things, their history that God has taken them through, like I said, those different awesome things that we'd love to see, were established there for them. They're supposed to teach their children, right, about what happened. There's reminders all over the place. As they're walking out through the wilderness, they could see an altar. But instead, they completely forgot him and they built other stuff. They applied their time to other things that had nothing to do with him. And so then he goes on into chapter 9. And this is those five things that says, you know what? This is what's taken away. This is the consequences of sin. And Hosea goes through these five different things, these consequences. And it's sad. It's depressing what ends up happening to them. But if they would have just stopped and repented, none of this would have happened. And so the first one that we get into is in verse 1. It says, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other peoples, for you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. The threshing, threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fall in her. And what this is talking about, this is basically it's talking about the harvest. Okay, the harvest is a big deal. I mean, that's when you're reaping all your work. So it'd be like, you guys, you know, every, what, every month, every two weeks, you get your paycheck. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I worked hard for this. Now we can go get, you know, the things that we need. We can go get some of the fun stuff that we'd like to have. And, you know, it, it's just a good time. It's like, yes, this is good. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll praise God for it. We'll say thank you. And if we're not, that's definitely something we should be going to and just praising him over it. Thank you for the work. Thank you for letting me even have this, you know, this food that you've given me. Well, that's like the harvest to them. Okay, it's all their hard work, and now they're getting the payoff. But what was happening is that the, with the harvest, it was so much more intimate with God because you guys know, and I don't, you guys have gardens? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. We have a garden of weeds. It's cool. Tilled the ground, everything. Didn't plant anything. Weeds are great. <laughs> My neighbor was making fun of me the other day. Not Chris, the other one. <laughs> but... You have all this, this, this work that goes into it, but really you're relying on the increase that God's going to give, right? Because we can't do anything about that. When we're trying to grow something, we just, you, know, you can't get it to grow except for just trying to make the best circumstances for it to be able to grow in. That's what we can do. But the increase is what God gives. And so when you're looking at this, they should be praising God, but instead what they were doing was they're going to these other foreign gods and praising them for their increase. And that's why it's such a bad thing. And so Hosea is saying, you guys, you shouldn't be rejoicing. This is absolutely no time to rejoice. And one of the consequences of sin and that what's going to happen is it, joy is taken away. There's no joy in sin. There's this false joy that people will have. I mean, you can ask anybody that gets wasted. They might have a fun time that night, but the next day there's not going to be any joy. 
It's a horrible next day. I mean, it goes through any kind of different circumstances, anything that people give themselves over to. Maybe for the time they're having this sort of false joy, but in the end, when everything's cleared, the dust is settled, there's no joy at all. There's destruction that's left behind. And then they, they, they look for healing for that destruction, and they enter back into other things that they can get this false sense of joy. Without God and without being in His will, there isn't any real joy. And you guys know that once you come back to him, either when you've given your life to him or you repent, that joy is so awesome, isn't it? It's like, oh, I've been restored back to my father. I have that real joy. I can rejoice now. When I, when I sing those praises to God, it's an exciting thing, and that joy enters back in. So when there's sin, joy exits the room. It's no longer in there, and it shouldn't be there. There shouldn't be this false thing like what these guys were doing, like, yeah, we're all happy when it was absolutely horrible where they'd taken themselves. Now, the second one. The second consequences that they faced, or consequence that they faced, is in verses 3 through 6. It says, They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall their sacrifices be pleasing to him. It shall be like bread of mourners to them, all who eat it shall be defiled, for the, their bread shall be for their own life. It shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do in the appointed day, in the day of the feast of the Lord? For indeed, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. Nestles, uh, or nettles shall possess their valuables of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. doesn't sound like a very good thing. This is a pretty bad consequence. So this consequence of sin is exile. That's what they're going to face. Exile. Getting taken out of what God promised them, taken out of those blessings that he was giving them because of what they've done and their con- that consequence that comes down on them. It's a hard consequence, but it's one of those things that's like, come back to me. Ephraim shall return to Egypt and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. And I think it's interesting in verse 3 because he says, you guys are going to be eating unclean things. What have they been doing? I mean, up in... in Eight of uh, eight thirteen, it talks about them offering sacrifice to the flesh. They eat it. I mean, that was that was stuff that they weren't supposed to be doing. So they're already eating things that they're not supposed to be doing. So it's this this consequence that's going to come down on them. Now they're going to be forced to do that. Now it's like there's the, being in this exile. Here's what you're going to eat. You guys remember the story with Daniel and 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 the three guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They're there. They didn't want to eat the king's food because they knew what had happened there, and so they decided that they were going to eat any of it, and they just took the vegetables. Well, it's that whole situation, but they're going to be forced to eat those things that they know is wrong. And it's such a weird thing how it flips because they were doing that before, but now because they're forced to, now it's almost like they've been cut off. They know they've been cut off from God because now they can't even eat the food that they're supposed to be eating. Just an interesting thing in three. And then what ends up happening is that they're forced to leave uh, what God had given them. They shall not offer wine and offerings to the Lord. Uh, their sacrifices are not going to please God. It's going to be like bread of mourners to them. Their bread shall be of their own life, and they shall not come to the house of the Lord. And that's really, if you look at Israel, that's where they're at now, isn't it? If they're going to make sacrifices, the sacrifices are not going to please him because he's already sent his son. The ultimate sacrifice is taking care of that. I mean, you look at this and you read through it, and it's like, wow, that's the state that they're in right now. It's a sad place. In verse 5, it says, What will you do in the appointed day and the day of the feast and in the day of the feast of the Lord? And it's just saying, You guys aren't even going to be able to do the feast. All these things I've set apart for you, it's completely going to be cut off from you. It's not going to be available anymore. Verse 6, For indeed they are gone because of destruction. And this is where it gets interesting. Egypt shall gather them up, and Memphis shall bury them. Memphis was the capital of Egypt at the time. That was like the, the hub for Egypt. And because it was the hub, you guys know how the Egyptians were really into burial? Because the, the afterlife, they want to make sure they, they had a great transition into that. So Memphis was a massive place. It was a graveyard. It was a place where they wanted to be buried in this place so they could have that blessing of going on to the next life. And that's why it's so significant that Memphis shall bury them. They're going to a place of the dead. And this is so key how sin will take us there. They go back to Egypt, which is like going back to the world, Right? They're going to go to the graveyard, and not only that, but they're basically, nothing's going to be of worth there, and they're going to live amongst the thorns, completely outcast. And that's just where sin will end up taking a person. It's a sad place. Look over to Deuteronomy 28, 68. 
Deuteronomy 28, 68. And this is a prophecy of what it was talking about, what's going to happen to them. It's a little bit more details into uh, Egypt taking them away and what ends up happening to them. But it really shows their worthlessness. They think they're of great value. They're in a time of prosperity through these kings, right? But really, you get to see, wow, these people that they ran to, like Assyria and Egypt, to help them out, they think they're worthless. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 68 it's so the last verse in 28. It says, And the Lord will take you back to Egypt and ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Completely into a place of worthlessness. But remember that. That's where they're looked at. The rest of the world is looking at They're just worthless now. What do they have to offer? Nothing, because everything's been stripped from them. Everything will be stripped from them. But then we're going to see in chapter 10 that God all of a sudden just pauses and he just talks about how he loves them. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but remember that and that worthlessness that they're in. Now, the, the, which one are we on? The third one, verses 7 through 9. It says, The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel knows the prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane. Because of the greatness of your iniquity and the great enmity, the watchman of the Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways. Enmity is or enmity in the house of his God. They are deeply corrupted, as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. And so it gives you a bunch of different uh, things that they're like when what is talking about this. Now, this is going to be the loss of spiritual discernment is one of the consequences. Loss of spiritual discernment. As we enter into sin, that's what it'll bring. One of the consequences is that your spiritual discernment is like, why? Because the flesh is being paid to. The flesh is is the one that's ruling. It's your will that is ruling in that sin, isn't it? So, of course, the spiritual side of things, you're not going to be, it's not going to be discerning. So, when they look at this and they talk about it, and that's what it's saying is that Israel knows the prophet is a fool. The prophet's looked like as a nobody. And now, the, the spiritual man, He's gone insane because they won't listen to anything that's being said. They won't listen to any of these truths that are going on. And then because of the greatness of your iniquity and great enmity. And that's the reason why they're going crazy. And the watchman of Ephraim is with God, so there's no more watchman there. The prophet is a fowler's snare to in all his ways. So basically, they just look at the fowler's snare is like the guy goes out and traps birds. Okay, that's who he is. They just look at the prophet as being that person. And how so true is that in our world as we bring truth into a situation, it's all of a sudden we become the fowler's snare. <laughs> we look at this as a snare. You're just trying to trap me. You're just trying to make me look bad. That's what's going on here. As you bring in the truth and you try to bring in Jesus Christ to the situation, it's like, uh-uh. You're like a you're trap. Get away from me. And that's exactly what was going on here. Is that That's how they turned and looked at the prophets. Is that the, all the, They didn't look at it as being truth. And walked away, so far away from it. Now, in verse 9, when he talks about that, and there's a little bit of history that he goes back on here, he says that they're deeply corrupted. As in the days of Gibeah, he will remember their iniquity. And this should have woke him up, because this is one of the nastiest parts of Israel's history in Gibeah. This is, this is like, some people don't even know about this. They know the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, but they don't know that it actually happened with Israel. And now I'm not talking about the whole judgment being brought down and them being completely decimated, but it, w- it was close with what happened within Israel. So let me give you this story. It's over in Judges 19 and then the following chapters after that, but I'm going to give you a brief one. What ended up happening is there was a Levite that was traveling around. He had a concubine. He ends up traveling around and he goes over to Gibeah to stay there. They told him, don't go over there. Go around and go visit these other guys, which were not Israelites. And this Le- Le- Levite was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm staying with my own people. I'm not going to go stay with some foreigners. Goes to Gibeah. He's hanging out with this guy at his house. They're having a nice time. Some guys knock on the door. And they say, hey, bring that guy out. We want to know him. And they wanted to know him sexually. Just like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the guy said, absolutely not. Here you go. Here is here's my daughter. And then the, the Levite said, here's the concubine. So they took the concubine, raped her all night long, she crawled back over to the house and died on the front steps of the house, on the threshold. The Levi ends up, he's furious in what happened, because Gibeah was a, a town of Benjamin, okay, the tribe of Benjamin. So what ends up happening is that this Levite takes, cuts this corpse up into 12 pieces, and sends it out 
to the other tribes to show them what has been done. And what happens is it calls them to arms against Benjamin, and they end up coming in there, and they, they killed uh, in one day 25,100 Benjamites. Just a huge slaughter. And then they vowed within all the tribes absolutely not to give any of their daughters to them to marry, just the few that were left. And so they basically almost wiped out that whole tribe. If God hadn't stepped in, it would have completely just been decimated, and they would not have been a tribe anymore. But it was a sick thing that ended up happening. And that they'd gone that far, and they'd done those evil things. And now when you, look, you know that story, this should have woke them up. Like, he's relating them to that time. And on the, all the minds of the Israelites during this time, they should know that that is a disgusting time in their history, that we would never want to be associated with that. You know, that's like God calling us out and trying to go back to some awful thing that we've, you know, maybe we've been associated with in the past. That, you know, I don't know if you guys have had this, discussion with an atheist before, but they love to go back to the Crusades. You know, it's a sad part of history. Or they go back to the Spanish Inquisition and they lop us all into that one part where, yeah, you guys used to torture people to get them to, you know, recant or to be saved. It's like, no, (laughs) no, that's not my group, you know, but that's where they want to go. And it's some big stain on history and it's trying to just do that wake up. So when he says that in verse nine, they're deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah, it should have been like, wow, okay, we've really fallen away. He'll remember their iniquity and he'll punish their sins. Now the fourth one, what ends up happening with these guys? Oh, here's the verse. I better not skip it over because I've been talking about it. This is that place where he goes and he talks about all these consequences and then boom, all of a sudden he enters in a reminder of how much he loved them, how he found them and what he did for them in verse 10. It's just put right in the middle of all these verses and it's such a neat thing that God does for him here. Bring him back to that reality. He says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the fruit, as the uh, first fruits on the fig tree in its season. And when he's talking about there, I mean, if you guys think about it, I don't know if you've been up camping or you've been up in the woods or whatever, and you all of a sudden find like a raspberry bush. Isn't that great? You're just like, don't even tell the kids because it'll all be gone. You're like, yeah. And then you take a couple back, like, you know, one for each of them. Like, <laughs> I'm not telling you where it's at, but it's one of those things you're going out through the woods and you're just, oh, it's such a great treat. I mean, it's, it's natural. It's something that God's given you there. And, and it's so, you just love it. It's like, oh, this is so refreshing. Or what he gives the next example is with the fig trees. Now, fig trees were a big deal, you know, because that's what they had around there. And when it talks about the first fruits, well, you got to think they went in a hole, you know, through the winter without them. So they didn't have any figs. And now here they come, the first ones. Oh, I've been waiting all season for these. I want them so bad. And it's this delicious fruit you get to eat again. It's another flavor that's brought in. You know, they didn't go to the supermarket and get all their spices and their flavors. So you have to know that everything that was natural, that's what brought different flavors in there. I don't know if you guys have ever had to be on a diet of just rice or something like that. This is very strict, only one flavor, and that's all you're allowed. And then all of a sudden you like have this little, I don't know, speck of chocolate that gets left on the table, and you're like... <laughs> you know, this is so it's, it's delicious because you haven't had that forever. <laughs> you guys get what I'm saying, right? I don't ever do that, but <laughs> especially the diet thing. <laughs> it says, but then what happens is, is he, he was so in love with me. It was such an awesome thing. I found Israel like this. They were such a sweet thing to me. Something that I long, I mean, it's just a great thing to find out in the wilderness. It's this thing I've been longing for all season. And, and this is, I remember them like that. But then here's what they do to me. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. It's so sad that they ended up coming to the thing that they loved, right? That's where you see a lot of people. You, you can see their character and the things that they're involved in. That's usually what they're involved in. That's what their, their love is. That's where they've applied their love to. So a person that's applied their love to Jesus Christ fully, they're one of the neatest people. And I know you guys have been around people like that. You can just look at them and you're like, that's a person that represents Jesus. And you know how much in love they're with him. And it's such a neat thing to see. But these, unfortunately, they become like the things that they loved and that wasn't God. In verse 11, this is the fourth one. Fourth consequence is that the birth rate goes down. They actually get affected on what happens with the birth rate. And he says in verse 11, it says, As for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will brave them to the last man. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre, 
planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out his children to the murder. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. And it's such a sad place, and it goes on. It says, All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds. I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebellious. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, were, uh, were they to bear children, I would kill the darlings of their womb. That's getting pretty, pretty personal. And when you start looking and, and seeing what's going to end up happening is that their sin is taken there. But you have to understand, they were already giving up their children to other gods. This wasn't just something that God's going to go kill all their kids. This is something that they had been willingly doing and going and giving their kids over to these other gods. And we see that happening now in this day and age. I mean, when somebody wants to go out and, and, and you know, just do whatever and be free with that stuff, it's, it's kind of like, you know what, I don't really care what happens anymore. If I end up getting pregnant or whatever, I'll just solve the problem. I'll give them up. And it's almost like that God of sexual sin or that, you know, going out and, and just going out with everybody. And that's like the God and now your sacrifices, I don't care if I have the, you know, if this kid comes along or whatever, I know how to get rid of it now. And there's lots of people that will help me do that. And you get to see the same thing, what happened with them. And so God comes to them and says, here's the consequence. I'm going to make it so you guys aren't going to have children. I'm going to take that away from you guys. And it wasn't that it was forever because we know they had kids later on. But he takes that from them. And it's so sad when you get down into verse 16 because he even says that the darlings of their womb are going to be, you know, basically he's going to give them miscarriages. And I'm so sorry for you women that have had to go through that. You guys know, and I don't know because I've never been there. But just having to deal with that and having that child that you're carrying, that suspense, that, that, that excitement of getting to have that child, and then it's all of a sudden taken. And it's neat because we have God that we can fall back on and be like, you know what, that, that's his deal. You know, I just have to trust in him on that. But it's a hard thing to have to go through, and that's what they brought upon themselves. It become very personal. And that's where sin, it's so sad what it end up doing to people is they don't understand, and all of a sudden they want to shake their fist at heaven and curse God for all of what they think is his problem and what he's purposely doing to them out of spite, you know. When it's so sad that they've been brought to this point, this is where they've driven themselves and not wanting to be with him and completely excommunicating themselves from him. And then the last verse is the last one, the fifth one. In 17, it says, My God will cast them away because they did not obey him, and they shall be wonders among the nations. And so the last one is that they're going to be castaways. They're going to be wonders. They're going to be nomads. They're not going to have any home. They're going to be lost among the nations. It's really hard not to have a home. Have you guys ever done that, where you've gone and traveled around in an RV type thing? No? Okay, my parents meet all kinds of neat people. And <laughs> there's been some people that they've met like that, but it only goes for a, a, a short amount of time. Now, there's people that have been out for five years that they know, and it's, it's hard. They talk to them, and it's a very hard thing not to have a place to go back to, not to have a home. And a lot of times they'll use their parents as kind of like their home base that they can go to. But just having that and not having any home, and I know you, some of you guys can even relate with this. You're on business or you're away from the house on vacation. It's just one of those things, like after a week or so, you're just ready to be back home. You want your own bed. You, you want your comfortable couch. You just want to be comfortable again because that's where, you know, you've set up that life. It's nice. And so that's going to be stripped from them. All their comforts and all their, their success that they've gone into, it's all going to be taken away. All their comfort's going to be taken away. They're not going to have any belonging. And it's a sad thing that you even get to watch now. You know, we, we know that Israel collects itself back together, but before that, it was spread out and they're persecuted and there's nobody that would st- be able to stand up for them, right? You guys look through World War II. I mean, until the very end, there wasn't anybody that was vouching for them. Even in the towns and the different things that were going on there, the people were looking the other way, acting like nothing was happening. Because who was going to come and fight for them? They weren't a nation, you know? There was nothing to them. They had no belonging. They were just nomads. They were just a people group that needed to be eliminated according to what the Nazis said. A sad place to be, right? And because of the rejection. Now, chapter 10. All right, I think we're going to do it. In chapter 10, it is, isn't it? All right, we've got 10 minutes. That's even scarier. 
Thanks. It got me like it got you on Sunday. <laughs> we need to change that. <laughs> All right. Let's fly through chapter 10 then. So hold on tight. Verses, uh, let's go ahead and read. Let's uh, do one through, well, I guess just the two verses because I wanted to get on a different verse there. So verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10 says, Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He has increased the altars according to the bounty of his land. They have embellished his sacred pillars. Their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars and he will ruin their sacred pillars. He's just going to completely wipe out everything that they've established and they haven't had their hope in. But one of the things that you look at this, and I think in um, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, I love the picture this one paints because. That's interesting what it's talking about there, but I think Isaiah really just paints it out. At least it was clearer for me when I went through it. So Isaiah chapter 5. For more clarity, especially on this vineyard. And maybe you guys know this scripture. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, it says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, and he also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth forth wild grapes. I mean, he did everything he could to make the the good grapes come out. Verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard, what more could have been done to my vineyard? that I have not done in it. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burdened, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain that they rain no rain on it. And then verse 7, it just clarifies everything. For the vineyard of the Lord of the hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness. He behold a cry for help, but behold, a cry for help. And it's just sad because he's just saying to them, I gave you everything. Like there's nothing that was lacking that, that, that it should have produced a good fruit out of what I gave you guys. But instead this wild fruit comes in. Where'd that come from? And so nothing can be blamed on God, as some people will try to do and blame him for the situation that they're in. God gives us everything that we need to succeed in him. He does. He talks about that over and over again in what he's given us. But it's our choice, and we can bring in that wild grape like what they did. In verse 3, it says, For now they say, We have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of beth For its people mourn for it, and its priests shriek for it, because its glory has departed from it. The idol also shall be carried away to Assyria as a present for the king Jerob. Uh, Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. And right there in verse 3, it says that they know, they know what their sin was. It says right there, and yet they they continue in it, and then what happens is that they know what their sin is. Their sin is walking away from the Lord, but yet they're going to sit there and they're going to cry about their idols being taken away. It's like, are you guys serious? It's because that's where their comfort lied. All their trust had been thrown in this, all the stuff that they had been given, gifts from God, they declared it to be those idols that had given it, and they've associated every blessing in their life to be with one of those. So to take that away meant no more blessing. Even though they'd know they'd walked away from God, and it's a sad place that they'd put themselves in, completely reliant on a false lie. When God's standing right there and continues to give them the gifts and gives them the success and, and, and all the neat things that he did for them, and they still wouldn't turn to him. As for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig in the water. Also, the high places of Avon and the, uh, the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall grow on their, their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. You guys heard that before? Yeah, Revelation, right? Revelation, not, not the S. Sorry, Sean. <laughs> Number nine, verse 9, O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah, and it goes back referring to that. Uh, there they stood, the battle of Gibeah against the children of iniquity. 
did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chasten them. People shall gather against them when I bind them for their two transgressions. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain, but I harness her fair neck. I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break his clods. And just basically just put him right into submission. Now, those two sins, and when it talks about there, those two, two transgressions, a lot of people, what they'll do is refer back to, uh, let me see if I can pick it up here, Jeremiah 2.13. And that's what they apply those two different sins with. Because it doesn't say it exactly right there. So Jeremiah 2.13. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so the first one is that they completely rejected him. The one that has the living water, they rejected him. And not only that, but then they tried to funnel that, that water by using other means. So going to other gods to funnel that water. And so they completely set up all this other stuff, these, these false systems that look like they were okay, to try to take those blessings God was giving them, this, this teaching that he was giving them, and, and use it in their lives, and it's completely just leaking all over the place. And so Jeremiah just nails it right there in talking about, and I see that when, when you're going through Hosea, just that's exactly what was going on. God's trying to give them this living water, and they're here they are putting these broken cisterns up, trying to catch this, this water. It's a sad deal that they put themselves in. Verse 12, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And that's just that call of repentance. These last few verses just reminding them and calling them back, still giving them that opportunity. You have plowed wickedness, you have reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way, in the multitude of your mighty men. Therefore, uh, tumult shall rise, arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be plundered. As Shalman uh, uh, plundered Beth uh, Arbel in the day of battle, a mother dashes in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness. At dawn the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. But that call back to repentance in verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness. Go back and replant. Go back, start all over again. Reap in mercy. Take up that stuff that you, you, know, you should be deserving something else, but you know, through God it's not going to happen. That mercy he pours out. Reap in mercy and break up your fallow ground, that hard ground that's been put down there. Break it up. Let it be stirred. For it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains the righteousness on you. Another translation and what the Hebrew is really trying to put there when it says reigns is teaches and teaches that righteousness. And if you guys want to cross-reference, you can go over and check out uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through, uh, 1 through 4. And I, I mentioned that last week, and that's just talking about them having a zeal for God, but they didn't have the righteousness, they didn't have the knowledge of righteousness, and they tried to do it themselves. So, verse 14, just to close it out. Therefore, tumult shall arise among the people, and all your fortresses shall be plundered, as Shalman plundered Beth Arab in the day of battle, and the mother dashed to pieces upon her children. Now, this is a fulfillment right here of what Hosea had already prophesied back in chapter 1, verse 5. And this is when we were talking about those children's names. Jezreel, right? In verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And that's just fulfillment of that prophecy. We get to see it right happen right here um, and what he's talking about there and how they were plundered because that's right there in Jezreel. That was one of the main, major towns there in that valley. And so just having them call back and, and God still calling them. And now when we go back into uh, chapter 11 to the end of the, uh, the book, God's going to just demonstrate his love to, to them. He's going to basically go into verse 10 of chapter 9 and just go over and talk about that. You know, like when he's in verse 1, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And he just goes back through and reestablishes, this is where you guys came from, what happened. I cleared out that vineyard so well for you. I mean, there's no reason that these wild grapes should have been in there. And then he calls them back to that repentance. So for yourselves righteousness, go back to that, guys. I think that's just a great encouragement for us that if that's something that has been just laying heavy as we go through these scriptures, that's something that he's calling us back to. It's an awesome time that we can anytime go back to him and break up that fallow ground. 
and get right with him again, right? It's a good place to be. Return that joy to us. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I ask that if there, there are people that are having those struggles, Lord, whether they're listening um, you know, on the recording or, or are here tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just open their eyes that you know, this is the day, this is the time where they can break up that fallow ground and just sow that righteousness again, come back to you, repent. And Lord, it's so awesome that you're there waiting and that you want to restore us, Lord. And we just thank you so much for that, just your patience that you have on us and your love for us, Lord. And uh, just as we look back on our lives when we first came to you, Lord, I ask you to just give us that excitement again for you, you know, that thrill that we had. And, and Lord, just what an awesome thing to have that blended with the maturity that you've given us and walking with you now. And so, Lord, I just want to ask you to give us opportunity this, the rest of this week, Lord, to share your love with other people, to share your gospel, Lord, and that you just bless these guys as they go out and they seek you and just what you want them to do and what your will is for them, Lord. And uh, we just thank you for tonight, Lord, and in your name we pray, amen.